millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Tuesday morning, the 29th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Three and a half thousand children will be homeless this Christmas. Overall, 11,300 people in 1,600 families are in emergency accommodation. House prices are at unaffordable levels for many young people who can never expect to own their own home in Ireland. And it has never been more expensive to rent. For more than a decade, three successful of governments have tackled a housing crisis, a crisis that has never been worse than it is now, which is why thousands of people protested under the Raise the Roof banner on Saturday, demanding more from government, demanding a right to housing. We'll debate this now with Fine Gael TD for Loud and East Mead, Fergus O'Dowd and Keen O'Callaghan, who is the Social Democrats' spokesperson on housing. And a very good morning to both of you. Fergus O'Dowd, is it a question of patience? Uh, the government is allocating Four billion to housing, twenty-eight thousand houses to be built this year, and as the Taoiseach said in the Dáil last week, the measures that the government is taking now are starting to bear fruit. They are, Michael, but we have to accept responsibility for what is happening, and we have to absolutely concur that that homelessness, that that figure is entirely unacceptable, and to say, as you have rightly said, the number of completions from September last year to September this year has been over 28,000. That's a huge bonus uh, compared to, say, 2016, when we only had less than 400 houses built. Uh, There's also a huge number of new planning permissions. But we need to do more. That's absolutely so. Uh, And I welcome things that we have done. Uh, For instance, the, the ban on evictions. Uh, It's a short period. It's over the winter. I would like to see that extended. Uh, I would like to see families where there were young children under 18 uh, that they couldn't be evicted from a premises while the school year is on. Um, 
But I do welcome uh, the initiatives in relation to the vacant home tax, which is something, as you know, I've been campaigning for a long time. I welcome the fact that the Help to Buy scheme has helped over 35,000 people to buy their new homes and and so on. Um, the Creek Home has scheme, which will make a significant difference in towns for mm. people to refurbish properties which they can then live in. You can get up to 30,000 to do that. Um, so there are lots of good things happening. But the fundamental issue is that we're not building enough houses and the homeless figure, we need to do more to tackle that. You know, it's unacceptable and there are reasons for that. Uh, but I, I, I go into them if you wish now, okay. if Keane wants to comment first, whatever. Absolutely, and I'm sure you'd agree with what Fergus O'Dowd has said to a large degree, Keane O'Callaghan. Uh, the other side of that argument is that the government uh, says if it's given more time, uh, we'll see a solution to this. Do you believe that the government deserves more time? Well, I think the, the difficulty here, especially in terms of Fine Gael, is that more than a decade and over that time things have gotten progressively worse. But even just, you know, this government since they've taken office and the last election was almost three years ago, we have now, since then, re- you know, homelessness has reached record levels, rents have reached record levels, house prices have reached record levels, the number of uh, people in their late 20s uh, into their 30s still living in their parents' home and childhood bedrooms has reached record levels. So on, on every scale, this is getting this is getting worse. And even when we talk about, for example, you know, the more than eleven thousand people who are homeless in emergency accommodation, that doesn't include, you know, people are sleeping rough, people are sleeping in tents, some couches, some floors, a whole range of people who actually are homeless. It's just the numbers of people in emergency accommodation, and for each and every one of those, that has a devastating uh, impact on their on their lives, especially for children in terms of their you know school and development. That has a huge effect. Uh, I'd often be talking to parents where they've, you know, their child has maybe, let's say, learning difficulties. They've mm. gotten support in their school. They've really worked hard with the support of their teachers, SNA, family, and they've come around and turned things around. And then they get a notice to quit. Then they're evicted. Then they're in emergency accommodation. And all of that can be un- unraveled, all that progress that everyone has worked so mm. hard I was reading your um, uh, column in uh, the Irish Sun this morning and you were saying that 41% of people aged between 25 and 34 are living with their parents. Yeah, and and that's risen very sharply since since this government took office. It actually rose in the space of just one year from about 33%. And that's a kind of increase that hasn't been seen anywhere uh, around the world. In fact, it's really, really sharp, really dramatic. And that's people Mm. who's you know, feel their lives are on hold. Who do you feel most sorry for? The young people living with their parents or the parents who uh, yeah, can't get rid of them? Does, and this is yeah. part of it. Like, it does affect yeah. family relationships. Uh, mm. You know, the, the younger people and their parents... Well, it's unnatural. Beyond, yeah, which is natural. It's, it's natural for people to want to be offended. I mean, what they all say to you is they, they want to be able to come back and visit, you know, their parents, which is a natural thing. You, you know, you want to be able to get on your your life and, you know whatever about a, a few years in your early 20s or, or mm. whatever, but as people are getting into their 30s and they still haven't been able to, you know, get that beginning of a kind of independent adult life, uh, you know, away from their where they grew up in, in, in their parents' home, yeah. that does put them under strain. It does cause, I mean, it causes the, quite a lot of anxiety for some people and mental health issues, and it does in, in terms of self-esteem and all that as well. Mm. So it does have those kind of profound impacts. 
okay. uh, on some people as well. Let me go back to Professor Dad, because you said there's reasons why we are in the situation we are in today, but for 10 or 12 years, whatever it is uh, since uh, Fine Gael came into office, we've been hearing government representatives say, give us time, give us two or three years, maybe four years, and we'll get on top of this. So why are we still here? Well, I think, Michael, absolutely. When we went into power, there was no money in the kitty, as we all know. Uh, the country was broke. Uh, the, you know, the World Bank, you know, put the gun to our head, and there was huge social and economic and personal disadvantage to tens of thousands of people. Since then, the economy has recovered. We're at full employment. There's lots of good things happening. The problem at the moment with construction. And we're, we're building more homes now than ever before, mm. but it's still not enough. But we are on target for our plan for this year. The key issues now are building inflation, labour shortages, objections and delays in tenders and so on. Uh, so the issue around building inflation, it's, it's a European issue. Uh, it's compounded by Brexit. Uh, the fact is that uh, we need another, believe it or not, we need another uh, 25,000 workers in construction to build the houses that we need. Uh, we're, we're short those workers, that's mm. why we have... Why do we still, why, why do we still need those workers? Why weren't the houses built? Because, because the people aren't there to work in them, Michael. Uh, the problem is there, there are labour shortages, there are apprentices shortages. It's a huge issue. That's why, say, in Drogheda, the government is opening a new apprenticeship centre there, which will be putting 400 apprentices in Drogheda uh, every year into apprenticeships of all but sorts. But there was never an intention to build enough houses. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, over the last 10 years, I mean, if, uh, if the targets... Ha- but if the targets had been set, I mean, we're setting targets now and we're not reaching those targets out of the 4 billion, we're 500 million short. Uh, no, we're we not, ha- We no, haven't... Been, well, there's, there's 500 million that won't be spent this year. No, no that, that's not true. There is 500 uh, yet to be spent. And oh, well, I think Darrell O'Brien was talking about giving it to local authorities to pay down debts on development land so I don't think he expects yeah, it to be spent well, or if he does he's going to buy private housing which will compete with first time buyers will it not? Uh, no I think the key point that you're saying there which is very welcome development uh, where local authorities purchase land that they haven't built on and they, that debt hasn't been paid off the government is providing 100 million to those local authorities loud local authorities is one of those provided that they can put social housing on that land in, in, in the next two years Okay, let, 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 let Keno Callaghan come in, uh, yeah. back on that, because that could result in 5,000 modular houses, uh, apparently, across uh, all of the local authorities in the country. But if it's as easy as doing that, as quickly as that, could that not have been done a couple of years ago? Yeah, I, I think to be very clear, and the Minister of Housing, Dara Ryan, was in at the Oxford Housing Committee uh, on the revised estimates last week. And to be very clear about this, there's €377 million Euro that was allocated this year to spell spent on local authority new built homes and that now is not going to be spent on local authority new built homes that's been reallocated to other areas of expenditure 100 million of it it, as you said to pay down local authority loans now i've never known any government ever to be interested in paying off the debts of local authorities this seems to be just a mechanism whereby the government can say well look we didn't leave money unspent this year and it's been reallocated to other other areas that was money that was earmarked for houses that people need if you look at the housing delivery figures. For example, the first half of this year, the number of new builds, local authority homes delivered in loud was zero. I mean, that's an appalling uh, record. And this is some of the some of the hundreds of millions that was allocated for new build homes going unspent. The entire total of local authority new builds 
in the first half this year in Mead was one. I mean, this is way off the kind of Mead uh, that we have. Uh, and, you know, there are some, some you know, measures the government's taking, but if you look at things like the vacant homes tax, they're setting it at a rate that could be far too low to be effective. We're getting this narrative from the government of, oh, look, this is a European issue. There's problems all over Europe. You know, we, this comes from the Congress of saying, uh, if you could try and find somewhere to rent uh, elsewhere in Europe, you're, you're not going to find something more affordable than you will in Ireland. This isn't the case. Dublin, for example, is the most expensive capital city in the European Union which to, to rent. Uh, so, try, you know, mm. there needs to be a... Irish a, Independent actually have an interesting article on that today, uh, and uh, he's not too far wrong looking at some of those figures. Sorry, you talked to me, Michael. No, I was talking to Keno Callaghan there on that yeah, point sorry, about, about the, the, the cost of housing in Dublin compared to other European cities. Uh, Paris, for example, the Irish Independent has a, an interesting comparison of the cost of renting a, across Europe, uh, and places like Paris and Lisbon are very expensive. They, they are expensive, but, but Dublin actually comes out on top in terms of Paris, Lisbon, Rome, Brussels, hmm. all of these different uh, European capital cities, if, if you're looking to rent. Uh, it's more expensive in Dublin. But there is a, you know, there's, I think there's a lack of awareness from the government as to just how serious this is and just how much action is needed to turn this around. They're, mm. you know, congratulating themselves this year that there'll be 28,000 uh, homes built throughout the country when everybody agrees that we need at least 40,000 new-built homes each and every year. Uh, so even their targets are, are way off mm. what's needed and it is way off what the Department of Housing has, has admitted as well, is that we need about 40,000 okay. homes a year. I think when you compare the price of housing uh, to the price of housing elsewhere, it's like comparing prices generally. You've got to take everything into account, do you not, such as the cost of living, the cost of wages uh, and so on. And uh, we're living in one of the most expensive uh, countries in Europe. Therefore, you'd expect that housing would be more expensive than most places. But if those targets were to increase, Fergus O'Dowd, to 40,000, you're suggesting, I think I heard you say there, that one of the reasons that you wouldn't be able to achieve that target is because of the objections. Are you objecting to That's objections right. and, the, uh, and the planning process? Because yeah, well, the planning, think, the planning so process is there, is it not to stop yeah. housing being built on floodplains like we've seen in the past, to make sure that there's yeah. services and amenities, public transport, schools, and all of these sure. things that should be in place? I, I think the point I was making there is um, supporting Keane, what he said, uh, in September when he said that and I think in, uh, you also said it and I agree with you uh, in relation to your speech in the door last week that, that politicians objecting to housing and social housing whatever party they're in and I, anybody in my party does that or any other party I don't agree with that that is a significant issue building inflation is an issue uh, one of the problems is because of the mortgage interest rates going up is a big issue and labour shortage is a huge issue uh, so there are lots of reasons why there are problems, but uh, I, I don't agree with Keane in saying that we're congratulating ourselves that we built X amount of houses. What I'm saying very clearly is that we're not doing enough and we need to do a lot more. And I believe that uh, when when our tarnish becomes T-shirt, that you will see a significant change 
in certainly, you know, what, what we want to, to see happening in the housing uh, field. And that's not criticising anybody, but it has to be our top priority. Okay. It's odd. Think, it's uh, odd, though, Fergus. It's odd, is it not? Because uh, Fianna Fáil campaigned uh, on the back of a failed Fine Gael housing policy sure, and yeah. has had responsibility for housing. Now you're oh, saying, now you're saying, now you're saying Fianna Fáil failed and you're going to right oh, their no, wrongs. I didn't actually say that. No, you no, didn't, but I know, answer. I think we all know what you meant. Yeah, but I think, Michael, I think when you put aside all the political rhetoric from all sides, uh, the fact is we need to build more. The second issue is we need to look after the most important issue uh, is, is homelessness and young children. And I think we need to have a, a completely new look at all of that in terms of protecting families that are renting. And a lot of the families that are becoming homeless are, are one-parent families, and there are huge issues mm. uh, with young children, and, and I accept that. And, and the cost of these hotels. For the that cost of these and hotels. That change. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a really... Um hard to believe the policy that's in place to pay for hotel rooms for people which are totally unsuitable uh, in terms of uh, accommodation uh, and uh, you compare that to providing social housing. Uh, can that problem be solved? Uh, can I make one further point on that, if I may? Yeah. Is that last year there were 7,500 people seeking international protection that we had to accommodate. This year you have over 46,000 Ukrainians and 17,000 500 people uh, looking for international protection in Ireland. So there's a huge, there's a huge difference out there, and it's creating huge problems. But we are dealing with it. But we have to do more. And I, I, I think if you okay, let Keno Callahan come back on that. Sure, yeah, of course, I, yeah. I mean, just to say, before the, the war in Ukraine and before those recent uh, challenges, we had very significant issues in housing and indeed in homelessness. So this isn't, you know, new in the last year. Now, just to, to make a point, I mean, Finland, for example, has pretty much eliminated uh, homelessness, eliminated people living in emergency accommodations down to absolutely tiny numbers. And they've been, you know, well able to do that because they've planned on that, they've planned ahead in, in terms of housing. And mm. that's what, what do, what do they pay doing. in income tax? Well, as you know, the Scandinavian mm. countries yeah. pay a good bit more in tax yeah. and get much better public services and, and universal public ser- services that everyone uh, benefits from that's probably a, a conversation for for another day. I know, but it's it, part of yeah. the solution, isn't it? You know, you get what you pay for, and you can only spend what yeah, you have. And government do, raises yeah, money through taxes. Yeah, and and they do have they do have very good public services as a result, uh, and that then that reduces a lot of costs for people because they're not paying as much in terms of healthcare and and, and other services that people are paying out out of pocket expenses for in in Ireland. Just to say, in terms of the, the labour shortages and the pensions issues, I, I mean, Fergus is is dead right that that's a a huge issue. It's very frustrating though just to see that the number of apprenticeships in key construction trades, you know, wet trade like plastering, bricklaying, are very very low. They're at about, you know, running at about 20% of what they would have been uh, let's say 12, 13 years ago. And there has been quite a hands-off approach on that, uh, you know, from the government of kind of like, look, the market will sort that sort that out. There's structural issues there. They're, it's very hard for builders to take on apprenticeships, for example, for a period of four years because they often don't have contracts running for four years. They don't know. They can't take anyone on for that length of, <coughs> length of time. So those structural okay. issues need to be sorted out. And what they've done in some other countries is they, in terms of state contracts and public contracts, they've insisted that a percentage of the workforce is apprenticeships to make sure that those skills are coming through and that, you know, that benefits 
the, the construction industry. And that's one of the things that they could do here is say, look, every state, every public contra- contract, be it housing or other infrastructural pro- projects, must take on, you know, 10, Okay, 15, I think we could continue the conversation for a lot longer, uh, but we've run out of time, unfortunately, and I have to leave it there. Thank you both uh, indeed, though, for joining us. Thanks very much uh, to Keno Callaghan, Social Democrat spokesperson on housing. Also with us uh, this morning, Fergus O'Dowd, who's a Fine Gael TD for Loud and East Meath. And of course, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 0419832000. That's 0419832000 if you want to ring us this morning. You can text or WhatsApp us on 086 1800 658 or email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as you heard on LMFM's news, I'm sure AIM2TD, Peter Jobin, is suggesting uh, that a directive has gone to paramedics not to bring patients by ambulance to Our Lady's Hospital in Navan from the 15th of December onwards. Uh, Peter Jobin is on the phone. And a very good morning to you and thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. I thought that directive was actually in place already. No, there's, um, first of all, just to say that it has been confirmed this morning and um, the information that we received yesterday, a letter has gone out uh, now from uh, to doctors uh, around the county in relation to the new plan. And um, so what was previous and informed situation? So yes, we did notice that uh, a lot of Meath patients were being brought to Drogheda by ambulances, even though Navin was, was, was ready and waiting to deal with them. So there was an informal policy implemented by the HSC. But as of the 12th of December, uh, just in a couple of weeks' time, the HSC will formally, officially put in a place where an ambulance won't be able to take uh, a patient to Navin Hospital A&E um, if they come under what's called um, the one or two triage uh, categories. So that's basically all uh, urgent um, patients. Uh, only non-urgent patients will be taken to Navin any after the 12th of December. And that is, in the words of the HSC themselves, the first step in a two-step closure uh, plan. And the second step of its closure plan, in their words, uh, is to happen early in the new year. They have, they said, got political uh, cover for their first step um, and they're awaiting political cover for their second step. That's the uh, the full closure of the A&E early in the new year. Now, the fact that this is happening um, in the middle of a winter surge is just one of those things that completely makes you want to pull all your hair out at once. I can understand that uh, because of how you feel about the emergency department. Uh, But you said it was in their own words. Uh, This is uh, a letter that you've had sight of, is it? Yeah, this is a letter. It's it's sent out by this organisation called LICC and it's signed by three doctors who have um, a position on the LICC and given to them by the HSC. Um, and it has been sent to GPs all around the county. Um, so this is, um, and, and the letter even says mm-hmm. that they're sending out this letter early because obviously we broke the information at lunchtime yesterday and now they want to update doctors okay. on the information. So that date uh, that, that you originally uh, believed was the 15th has been revised. It's the 12th of December that this will be implemented from, uh, as you say, it's enough for you to pull your hair out, uh, but hardly unexpected. It is unexpected in the middle of winter, Michael, I have to say. Um, any any medical professionals that I was talking to over the last uh, couple of months said there's absolutely no way the HSE would actually close any part of the service uh, until at least March. Um, most, you know, uh, decent people within the HSE that I was speaking to 
said that, you know, at a time where A&Es were literally and physically out the door, there's absolutely no way that the HSE will countenance this. Um, you know, we have 100,000 patients waiting on hospital trolleys last year around the state. 2,000 children. It's very unusual that children are left waiting on, on, on trolleys mm. across the country. Um, but that's what's happening now at the moment. Um, and we have a flight of staff from our A&Es due to the pressure that they're under. Um, they're simply okay. going because the conditions are not tolerable uh, in, in, in hospitals in Ireland anymore. So when, the fact that w- w- when the HSE would be so dis- distracted from this and so um, you know disconnected from this experience is just really, really hard to believe. Okay, I'm sure they had their own reasons, but when you say the letter says that it's uh, the first of a two-step process and that the second step will be to close the emergency department early in the new year, what do you take that to mean? The spring or the winter? Uh, will it be in the first few months of the year? Well, it's hard to know. It's a, a quote from the letter says, this phase um, two is planned for early in the new year, dates be confirmed, and there will be uh, three main pathways for accessing the MAU after the phase uh, two occurs. Um, so they have the, the two original pathways that they mentioned previously, and that is obviously GP referral uh, via ambulance if it's a non-urgent issue to MAU. They've added in a third uh, pathway, um, probably as a result of the, the campaign that we've done and the fact that there's no GPs available for most people in the county at the moment, and that is that there will be a triage system within the hospital uh, for those who can't uh, get to a GP or have no access to a GP. Okay. Um, uh, and that, to, of course, uh, is one of the concerns that Stephen Donnelly is said to have had as well. Yeah, so so that that looks like that that's an addition to it. But the key element here is this: is that there will be no ICU in Navanaini when this if this goes ahead, and if there's no ICU in Navanaini, they won't be able to take most patients because they're not going to risk taking a patient if a patient can deteriorate in any ways, and um, because they just won't have the backup okay. facilities to deal with it. So there will be like many cases of patients who will maybe go to a triage in Navan, but they will be taken via ambulance to Drogheda to, to be dealt with there um, and okay. you know Drogheda has been off call a number of times this year due to the fact that it's, it, it is suffering from overcrowding like all the other uh, hospitals uh, in the region so you know I know from talking to uh, senior medics in Drogheda the senior medics are not in agreement uh, in Drogheda in relation to this no. so again mm. this is a HSE plan do you mean do you mean that there's disagreement amongst the medics in Drogheda Oh, absolutely. They, 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 I, I, would, I won't know. I, I, as far as that I there's different opinions there's in Drogheda. That, that, that so, so, some medics in Drogheda agree with it, some medics in Drogheda don't agree with it, is it? My understanding is that the, 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 the vast majority of medics in Drogheda do not agree okay. uh, with this plan to, uh, first of all, bypass now. Okay, because they were uh, represented on the review team, uh, and I, I take They were represented a, by senior management within Drogheda Hospital, but. A there senior is, doctor. Yeah, but, it, like, it, but unfortunately not a cold face, not a person working on the front line. Uh, oh, I think it was, Dr. Ian Cunahan. Well, my understanding uh, from this is that it's the management in Drada and this, let me see, the Drada are in favour of this, but the conditions on the front line are not in favour okay. of this. Okay, all right. Uh, just very briefly, uh, before you leave us, a um, uh, related issue, or related in the sense that uh, you've been asking questions of uh, the HSC, uh, and uh, we're told uh, the somewhat shocking news that 600 Irish babies are born each year in this country with fetal ag- alcohol syndrome. Yeah, so this is a very, very serious situation, uh, whereby... Um, we put in a, a question to find out how many babies suffer from uh, um, drug addiction 
and uh, alcohol problems in relation to their development uh, in this country on an annual basis. And the HSE responded to us that it's as high as 600 babies uh, who are born with that syndrome, the fetal alcohol um, syndrome. And that's significantly impairs the individual's uh, uh, physical and mental abilities uh, for the rest of their lives. Um, and worse than that, um, about 10% of babies that are born in the state on an annual basis, that's roughly 5,500 babies, uh, have some level of impact uh, mentally and physically with regards to alcohol consumption during pregnancy. Um, and m- much of that uh, doesn't appear until the child gets to school and it is you know, more visible in terms of learning dif- difficulties uh, when uh, they're in school. Um, so what we've been asking for the last two years now is for the government to run a high-impact educational uh, publicity um, campaign. For expected to, mothers, to, to, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah, the expectant yeah. mothers know the dangers. We're not looking to guilt anybody here. We know that yeah. it's, you know, pregnancy is a difficult time uh, for people, but we just want mothers to have the full information of ac- the actual impact that's you know significant yeah. intake of alcohol. No, it's a, a, an important yeah. message for any expectant mothers listening to us uh, this morning. For sure. Hopefully they'll heed uh, the actual facts of the situation. We leave it there for the moment, though. Thank you indeed, Patrick Tobin, Ain to founder and leader at TD for Mid East. Michael Reed on LMFM. Drink driving is always uh, an issue of uh, concern, especially coming into Christmas, possibly more so this year, following on from uh, the results of an iReach Insights survey, which was carried out on behalf of Aviva Insurance. Let's speak to Anne Matthews, Communications Manager with Aviva Insurance Ireland DAC. Good morning, Anne, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. A thousand adults were surveyed nationwide. Tell us about the findings, if you would, please. Yeah. Good morning, Michael. Um, yes, our research found that um, almost a quarter of those surveyed, the thousand people that had, were surveyed, had witnessed somebody taking a drink before driving. And of those, 24%, 19% said they knew someone who had driven after con- having consumed a small amount of alcohol. And of even greater concern is the finding that 7% of those surveyed admitted to knowing someone who drank a lot before doing so. Mm. And it gets worse than when you uh, talk to men only. Absolutely. Um, One in ten men surveyed knew of someone who got behind the wheel of a car in the last year, having consumed a lot of alcohol. Uh, That's incredible. You know, um, and another interesting thing about the survey was that certain age categories were more likely to have observed some degree of drink driving mm. relatively recently. Um, 32% of people aged 35 and 44 said they had seen it, whilst 29% of those aged 55 plus said the same. Mm. Um, l- looking at the positives, because there are some positives in the survey younger age cohort, those aged 18 to 24, were least likely to know someone who had driven after drinking a lot of alcohol. Okay. So that's really positive. Some common sense there, uh, because uh, everybody should know the consequences of uh, drinking and driving, not just for themselves, but the potential consequence of that uh, on other people. And as a, an insurance company, undoubtedly you see all of that all of the time. Uh, are you shocked by what the survey has uh, reported? 
I think I think it's 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 of great concern. I mean, you know, just to put a bit of balance in it, and what what's good and what is encouraging is that most people who were surveyed, so you know, almost three quarters didn't know anyone mm. who who had driven their car having consumed alcohol. But you know, that's not good enough in this day and age, and we we simply need a hundred percent compliance. Um, you know, there is scientific evidence. That, that says that um, alcohol affects your judgment, your reaction times when driving, you know. Yeah. So uh, coming up to the Christmas period when the roads are busier, people are out and about more, mm. um, you know, people really do need to get the message about the dangers of drink driving. OK, but what you're seeing in the survey, I think, is totally irresponsible behaviour. We'll hear campaigns coming into the Christmas period about people out at Christmas parties and getting home late and getting up the morning after and could be still over the limit and be dangerous on the roads. Uh, but you could say that maybe that was a, a mistake or an honest mistake in some cases uh, and that's why those campaigns are, are there so that you have this awareness. But here we're talking about people by the sounds of it who are, are, are drinking 10 pints and getting into a car. Yeah, um, I mean, the the road fatalities, if you, if you look at the statistics for deaths on our roads, um, even this year so far, they are not good. Um, a total of 135 people have died on Irish roads this year, which is an increase of 19 when compared with the same data last year. And over a thousand people have been seriously injured. Um, Aviva sponsored VR headsets to educate um, transition year students mm. in secondary schools before COVID. And it, it was a simulated car crash. Oh, yes. Basically mm. showing, pe- showing students the impact. And it was, it was quite staggering in, you know, mm. how, how um, real it was. Mm. But I remember at the time of the launch talking to a member of the Gardaí and she said that the worst, the worst part of her job was knocking on somebody's door to tell them the dreadful news because she knew Mm. that their lives were going to be changed forever by that knock on the door. That's a really sobering thought. We leave it on that sobering thought and uh, ask people to think uh, before they get into a car with alcohol on them. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today. That's Anne Matthews, Communications Manager with Aviva Insurance Ireland DAC. Michael Reed on LMFM. A lot of comments coming to us uh, today. Niall works in uh, the building trade. He says he was listening to the debate earlier today with Fergus O'Dowd and Keno Callaghan and he says he'd disagree that the lack of builders and labourers is a factor in the delays with uh, constructing housing. He says it's more likely to do with the huge price hikes in the cost of materials. Many building their own home or hoping to build simply can't afford the prices that they're now facing. In his own case, he says he knows of three young couples who've had to halt the work on their homes being built because they've run out of money and they've asked them to stop work because they just can't pay uh, until they manage to get more together. In, in the last six months, he says, the price of materials have gone through the roof. For example, a roll of insulation was €20 Euro about six months ago and he had to buy insulation yesterday for a job, but he was charged €53 Euro a roll. 
That's some jump from 20 euro to 53. Uh, I suppose we're seeing that though right across the border. He says there's a, a lot of people out there who want to have their houses built or renovated, but they just don't have the money. They can't afford to do it. In his opinion, it's the biggest obstacle facing housing construction in this country at the moment. Well, many thanks, Niall, for calling us uh, and indeed for sharing all of that with us. Jimmy has been in touch with us about the bankers' bonuses that you've been hearing about in the headlines and he says the people that left many people bankrupt and homeless in this country are now to get these bonuses. How can this be allowed to happen? James is in Drogheda. He says along narrow West Street there's an awful lot of derelict buildings. Why can't they use these buildings and remodel them for use as apartments or townhouses. It would be much better building upwards and using unused buildings in our urban areas rather than building out into the country and using all of the agricultural land that is used to feed us, as he puts it. Thanks uh, for that, James. Uh, Some WhatsApp messages. uh, We are a great country, says Ellen. A great country, that is, when a dentist can have his debts wiped out and the banks get their bonuses back. Another bill for the taxpayer the mind boggles. Thanks, Alan. A lot of people in touch with us about the bankers' bonuses and I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about that, uh, not just uh, today, but in the coming days. Uh, the Oireachtas Finance Committee is scheduled to, to meet at 11 o'clock this morning. Let's speak uh, to a member of uh, that committee, People Before Profit TD, McBarry, who's on uh, the line. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. When your committee meets today, you're going to call for an emergency meeting which would call in the Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue to talk about lifting this pay cap of half a million euro a year for bankers and indeed uh, the fact now that uh, the Minister is proposing that they be able to pay bonuses of up to €20,000 generally. Yeah, this is uh, an outrageous proposal. Um, It's an outrageous proposal at the best of times, but to put it forward in the middle of cost of living crisis uh, is scandalous in my opinion. Um, I mean, we have... Um, working families trying to scrape together the euros to make sure that kids have a decent Christmas uh, and they wake up and they read um, on the front page of their newspaper or when they scroll down their phone that the half a million euro a year pay cap uh, for bankers uh, is to be lifted uh, and that bonuses of 20,000 euro uh, are to be allowed um, it's uh, not on, in my opinion, and uh, I want the Minister to come before the committee. Why is it not on? Uh, it's obviously not on in the eyes of many of our listeners uh, who are also contact- contacting the, us this morning. Uh, but I suppose the question that can be asked is, what has it got to do with you, or what has it got to do with our listeners? Well, <laughs> but, uh, you know, is it not a commercial decision? Well, it shouldn't be a commercial decision, Um Um, The question is, do you want to have uh, banks privately owned and run for profit, or do you want to have banks publicly owned and run in the public interest? Now, at the moment, uh, one bank has been fully privatised, that's Bank of Ireland. Uh, Two other big banks, Parliament TSB and AIB, are in majority state ownership. Uh, But what the Minister is lining up here is to bring them into majority uh, private ownership, certainly AIB, early in the new year, and then the banker's pay cap being lifted kicks on from that point. So this issue is intimately connected with the question of whether the banks are privately owned or publicly owned. I think they should all be publicly owned, uh, but at the moment, two of them are, uh, and uh, the minister's still lining this up. As I say, it's not on. Mm. Uh, the banks would argue otherwise uh, and uh, they will tell you that they can't get the people uh, to get out of bed for less than half a million and so on. They'll go elsewhere. 
yeah, um, uh, that's what they will say. Um, but there's two points I would make about that. Uh, first of all, uh, is half a million euro a year, um, you know, uh, an unfair wage uh, for a banker. Uh, and the second thing is that if, if you're going to run your banks along. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Capitalist lines, um, as capitalist enterprises, whether they are privately owned or state-owned, because the government have run state-owned banks as capitalist enterprises in reality, um, it might make sense to have uh, extraordinary wage, wage, uh, rate, wage rates for bankers. But I believe that if you had a properly nationalised system, that it was democratic and it was run in the interest of ordinary people, that it should be possible uh, to have uh, expertise uh, from uh, banking experts and uh, uh, economists who don't support the right-wing pro-capitalist line uh, down the line Mm. to come onto the board of a bank and assist a committee that's elected from the workforce and from the customers as is often the case in the credit unions, to, to, to run banks in a modern society. I believe that could be done and should be done. What about the bank workers uh, who want these bonuses? Is uh, your proposal to prevent them, not anti-worker? Look, if there's someone walking behind a counter uh, in a bank uh, who wants to be able to get uh, a bonus for work that they do nine to five during the week, uh, that's one thing. It's a different thing entirely if you're talking about uh, bank executives who are on €500,000 a year, who want that lifted, who want to be able to get bonuses of 20000 and add benefits like having their health insurance paid for them. It's it's a totally different kettle of fish. Will it have any impact on people uh, who are struggling uh, to make ends meet and give their children a, a good Christmas, whether the bankers get this type of remuneration or not? Yeah, I think it does, because uh, when, when a country is struggling with a cost-of-living crisis, the morale of the people uh, is, is an important thing. And you, you demoralise people by forcing them to scrape together the euros to give the kids a decent Christmas on the one hand, uh, while lifting pay caps for bankers on half a million euro uh, on another hand. I mean, government ministers talk about social solidarity. Now, mm. I think they use it as a bandage to cover up the fact that we've got a deeply unequal and divided society. Uh, but how can you talk about social solidarity when you've got one law for the rich and another law for the rest of us? Okay, well, I suppose uh, the world is full of rich people and poor people. Uh, and, uh, for, That's from, why it needs to be changed, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Well, perhaps so, but uh, I, I think we'll be hearing today from government that it's actually a good news story, won't we? That we had a, a banking crisis, uh, the banks collapsed, uh, bankrupt the country, a 64 billion euro bill. I think we ended up paying 45 billion euro or something like that. But that was 13 years ago. Uh, and now we're coming back to some sort of semblance of normality yeah well I mean we'll see what the listeners think as to whether lifting <laughs> yeah. the bankers pay cap of 500,000 euro allowing them to be paid bonuses of 20,000 euro yep. and having their health benefits paid for uh, from uh, the bank's funds is a good news story or, or, or uh, not 
Um, it, it's 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 the, the the hard work of the people of this country and the taxpayers who, who chipped in, uh, who sorted out the uh, 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 banks. Hmm. Uh, that's a different story entirely from what we're hearing about today. All right. Well, we'll undoubtedly hear more from our listeners. They've already been in touch with us. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, I think there will be some support from what we've been hearing from other members of uh, the committee uh, for your call uh, for this uh, emergency meeting with uh, the Minister to discuss this proposal. But thank you, as I say, for joining us uh, this morning. Mick Barry is a People Before Profit TD for Cork North Central and uh, a member of uh, the Oireachtas Committee uh, on Finance. Let me bring you some more of uh, the comments that have been coming. Uh, to us uh, this morning uh, we'd uh, WhatsApp message from somebody saying good morning Michael regarding Fine Gael and Fianna Falls housing policies over the last 20 years they both have failed and it's getting worse young people now can't afford to buy or rent in this country and I don't believe our politicians really understand what that's like all we hear is grown adults squabbling in the doll on a daily basis over everything and anything come together for once and for all form a cross party committee to tackle the housing situation situation in this country says our caller thank you uh, it's quite uh, often that uh, when that happens because you've got all sorts of cross-party committees and there is a housing committee and uh, you'd have independence and all of the political parties on those committees and quite often uh, they agree uh, to a large part uh, but when it comes uh, to individual party policies uh, well things tend to differ uh, and approaches tend to be different and obviously uh, when you've got a crisis like this you've uh, a government who will tell you that they're doing what they can and an opposition uh, who'll pick at it because uh, there is obvious failings. Uh, keep up the great work, Pater Tobin says, uh, listener on uh, WhatsApp, uh, my friend was in Navin Hospital yesterday and was seen within 30 minutes. The staff were brilliant. It's a great hospital. Uh, Deirdre in touch saying it would be a total disaster if they closed the emergency department in Navin. Drogheda won't be able to cope, she says. Thank you, as always, Deirdre. A slain listener uh, says, I'd like to uh, bring to your attention a scam alert coming from Amazon. Got two phone calls about a watch worth 300 euro for collection just a scam anybody else listening ignore it if you get it thank you slain listener for that word of advice Paddy Duffy says we've been listening to the same old tripe from Finnegale for years well at least you were listening Paddy <laughs> I suppose that's one good part of it he says we've been listening to the same old tripe from Finnegale for years uh, they've had their chance and uh, they blew it they need a long spell on the opposition benches and nowhere near government until we get our housing health and education where it should be for a very wealthy country uh, somebody else saying I just received a letter to say my knee surgery is going to be done in Dundalk Uh, I'm not going to Navin where I'm uh, attending uh, which I'm not sure how that works uh, but thanks uh, for that obviously James is uh, somewhat confused uh, by that very interesting call to us uh, about that attack on uh, that nine year old boy in Wexford by uh, that pit bull is there not a strict law enforced to muzzle dangerous breeds of dogs and all dogs should be on leads in public places, parks, etc., says our caller. There is, of course, there's the 10 dangerous breeds and they should be muzzled at all time on a short lead at all time and walked by somebody who is over the age of 16. Some of the owners, says our listener, are a selfish lot and they allow their dogs to run free so they don't have to bother cleaning up after them. That young lad in Wexford is the latest to suffer from a pit bull in a public place too late putting dogs down when the harm is done. 
well, I'm sure, like me, there's an awful lot of people listening to you, Navin Listener, who can only agree with what you say. Uh, it's It should be criminal uh, and it should be enforced. I mean, these laws are there um, that uh, you have to have a muzzle on these dangerous breeds. And it is a, a law that is in place with good reason and we're seeing that to our detriment uh, this morning. Uh, and if that law was enforced, maybe that young boy wouldn't be in hospital and wouldn't have these life-changing injuries by all accounts. It's just a a downright dreadful situation. And if that law was enforced and if somebody was looking at these dogs going around off lead without muzzles and so on, and then prosecuting the people uh, who were responsible, uh, that would be a different thing. It is absolutely too late to put the dog down. It wasn't the dog's fault even, even though uh, it's a dreadful thing, but that's in the nature of a pit bull, isn't it? Um, you can't blame the dog uh, if the laws are in place and the owner who has the responsibility and allegedly the intelligence to think of the consequence. You can't blame the dog. It's the owner who is responsible. Thank you, though, for your text to the programme. If you have been in touch with us, it's great to hear from you. If you've not, you can phone 0419832000, text or WhatsApp 0861800658 or email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, we'll talk uh, about uh, the protest in Carlingford on Sunday. People protesting about uh, some of uh, the village's uh, new residents, uh, all of whom are refugees. Uh, there were some terrible things said. Uh, we're going to speak uh, to local TDs, Peter Fitzpatrick and Rory Amoraku, in uh, a second. Before we do, we'll hear just a, a few of the horrible things uh, that were said. Some of the things... Uh, that we can play for you uh, because most of what was said or a lot of what was said couldn't be played on the radio. If there happens to be something that the same happened in Carrick, God forbid, or the same happened in Sligo, the extremist elements coming into the country, there is not, when you have uncontrolled immigration, you have not got proper vetting. I was told back in 2007 by an MEP every one of them were told, all the MEPs were told Go home and destroy the family, the church, and the nation state. Like the previous speaker said, if you don't know what's happening, you need to wake up. What sort of Ireland do you want? Do you want an Ireland where we can say that this is Ireland for the Irish? But this is three years in the making. And there's another seven of hardship to go yeah, here. It's not within three. It's not within three. Okay. I've been going to those salesmen ten years ago. I'm telling you, they have to go. And the only people in this country that can get them out is you. Now listen, they're going. They're not getting any warmer than they've already got. They're going. They've got away with it. I want to show you something here. Excuse me, can I just say one thing? What's the problem with loving all living beings? Uh, I'm not sure who that lady was who interjected uh, but she was brave and well done whoever you are uh, after that venom that we were listening to uh, if none of that made sense to you don't worry you're not on your own Uh, maybe I can explain some of uh, the last comment the last three years uh, three years in the making or something was said I think that's referring uh, to uh, when uh, coronavirus hit us in March 20, uh, which is not quite three years ago. The seven years, uh, I think, has to do with something called Agenda 30, uh, which is some conspiracy theory. Um, I, I think I'd rather watch paint dry than work out what Agenda 30 is, but hopefully it means something like hard from Facebook and made to get a job. 
uh, because uh, there's uh, some very questionable characters uh, who are taking place uh, in uh, these protests uh, and uh, quite a lot of them as we heard yesterday are not from Carlingford. As I said the two local TDs, Independent Peter Fitzpatrick and uh, Sinn Féin's Rory O'Murku were on the line. Rory O'Murku, what do you make of what you've been hearing? Well, the same as yourself, Michael. Uh, there's an element to me doesn't want to say very much in relation to it because you're nearly elevating it and giving it an importance it doesn't deserve. Look, you're dealing with multiple levels of conspiracy theories and the bit that I always love is I have heard and I was told. You know, we, we could all say that about everything. It doesn't necessarily mean it's absolutely true. Yeah, like a UN army. There's no such thing as a UN army. <laughs> what I was going to see in relation to the UN army, depending on where you get the commentary, it switches to a NATO army. Oh, there's no NATO army. EU army. There's no EU yeah. army. <laughs> yes, there's, no, there's, there's none of these things, but I don't think that even matters. It's okay. the fact, and mm. people are able to connect dots, and they give up here. They're also given a capacity to people that isn't possible mm. anyway. But, but outside of that, what this was, it was a protest which seemed to be largely people outside um, Carlingford yeah. that utterly reprehensible views were being expressed. I have a major problem in the sense that social media is there for everybody to use, but the problem is it's been abused left, right and centre. Um, I'm just going to draw your attention to, obviously, a video that has gone viral uh, of a man being knocked down in Dundalk, mm. a criminal act. So mm. somebody has an ability to throw that up. Yep. We know we've seen houses and homes that have been set up for targeting because of people throwing things up online. And then we're allowed, we're allowing people to make just absolute daft assertions. Mm. But that can have an impact on vulnerable people that are open to this. Just back up there a little bit uh, because uh, that video really was shocking. Uh, it, it, it looks like somebody's driving a car and intentionally knocks down a man on a bicycle on the Castletown Road in Dundalk. Absolutely appalling beyond belief, but I'm sure the authorities are aware of it and will deal with it. Uh, Peter, for I was, I, sorry. sorry, go ahead. No, I was just, I was talking to obviously the superintendent in relation to it. Like I imagine a lot of people were there investigating it and obviously anyone with information should pass that on. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the only positive, I suppose, hopefully this ends up being evidence yeah. in our case at some point. Okay. Peter Fitzpatrick, uh, what do you make uh, of uh, the protests that took place on Sunday? Well, Michael, I think the, the bottom line is, Michael, I think people have reached a tipping point. I think the housing crisis, I think everything has got... It, We'll come up to Christmas at the moment and there's an awful lot of things happening that shouldn't be happening. Like I, I had a lady come into my consistency office day yesterday. Uh, she had two children and she came into me and she actually begged me to ring an agent in the door to see could you get her a house. I disappeared half, half past 11 yesterday in the morning and this house went up on, 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 on the internet at about 9 o'clock. When he rang the agent, 114 people already has applied for the house in, in the space of two and a half hours. So what's wrong at the moment, Michael, is it's bad communication. I heard uh, Tommy Carroll Jr. yesterday on your program there yesterday morning, and the, the bottom line is people, all people want to know is exactly what's happening. Mm. Uh, I'm looking at the TV for the last number of days. The bombing that's going on in Ukraine there at the moment is, is horrendous at the moment. Mm. The Irish people has opened up the country for these people to come in. I believe so far, listen to Roger O'Gorman speaking yesterday, there's 64,000 Ukrainians have come in and a four of 17,000 international protection applicants have come in. And in fairness, and then we're listening to all these hotels. These hotels have got a fantastic contract for the last six or 12 months. All of a sudden, they're going to cancel the, 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 uh, the contracts. 
the government's out there at the moment is, and they're looking for accommodation. I believe that Roger O'Gorman now is working now with Darrell O'Brien and I believe they're looking at Tories they're all going to get involved. The bottom line at the moment is coming up to Christmas, people want their own home. Like 11,000 people homeless at the moment. Is. Yeah, but, people, people, mm. people are really... Like, Michael, I just, I just but is that, reason, is that reason to protest about giving sanctuary to people fleeing war situations in the Adventure Centre in Carlingford? Michael, what happened, what happened in Carlingford should never happen in Carlingford. Mm. Uh, there's an awful lot of decent people in Loud and everywhere else at the moment. Is. Mm. And as Rory said earlier on, Michael, I have no intentions whatsoever of coming on your, your programme this morning and talking about these people doing absolute and utter disgrace. Mm. As I said, it's a communication. It's the people in Carlingford had a know what was happening. Yeah. What happened there was, and, it, and, it, and, it, and Tommy Carl said he asked, was, uh, 41 male Ukrainians came to Carlingford mm. and all people could see was coming was males. As I said, yeah, there's a I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they are Ukrainians. They're refugees, but they're uh, from other parts. Uh, I think he said there was 23 or 26 uh, Ukrainians living in the houses opposite, women and children. Michael, Michael we're back to this word again, mm. communication. Yeah. As I said, yeah, mm. I, I was just looking at the text there this morning. Is, and uh, if you look at it, Ireland has opened their arms to the Ukrainians and these international mm. uh, protections. Like, if you look at it, like there's thousands of, of getting school places in primary and secondary schools. Mm. There's thousands getting the uh, uh, of education training because for, for them to progress themselves and maybe stay in Ireland and, and, and help with the workforce, mm. they need to learn the language English. Like, this government has, has done a lot for them. Even, like, when you yeah. in this country, it normally takes, like, nine months before you can walk. Now to reduce it to six months. It's, Michael, what happened is wrong. Uh, the Irish people do want to help Ukraine. Of course Michael, they do. The, 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 this situation we have, it's all down the oh, yeah. end. It's mm. all down to the yeah, and It's been driven by racist, fascist elements on the internet. Uh, do you think that the Irish flag, that the tricolour, uh, should be used I mean I'm sure you don't uh, but uh, do you think that something should be done to stop it from being used as a symbol of hate because that's the way it, it appeared in Carlingford on Sunday Michael one person I believe had an Irish flag on it Michael and, and to me Michael we, I, I'm not coming on your programme this morning to, 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 to give these people publicity Okay. I, I, I would have come on your programme this morning and say listen uh, there's, there's a war in Ukraine uh, uh, Would you ask them to stay out of Carlingford? Michael, Michael, of course it hasn't said it, Carlingford, Michael. And in fairness, I spoke to the guards the weekend in Carlingford. And in, and in fairness, there's, there's, you know, the, the guards have done the best and everything else. And it, like, these people, mm. all they're doing is... And Michael, I'm not being smart, Michael. I do know some of the voices that you played in your programme this morning. And these are the same people that, 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 that will go anywhere, Michael, to, to, to do these post hatches. Mm. But I'm just saying, we don't want Carlingford to get a bad name at this. Yeah. All the people in Carlingford yeah. are... Well, you see... You yeah, let me go back to Rory Murakou because you see tricolours down in East Wall as well and I'm sure elsewhere. Uh, and, I mean, it conjures up images of 1930s Germany. Uh, it's horrible. You're looking at the flag and hating the flag and that should not be the case. Uh, do, you, do you agree with that to any extent? Um, well, here, I, I accept that it can conjure up um, a really bad picture. I'm not sure that it's it's quite the level of what happened, obviously, in in Germany at the 1930s, and like I said, it's a symbol of hate. I don't. Oh yeah, I don't want to give these people any level of. I don't want to put them on any sort of pedestal that they don't deserve or, or whatever else. The huge amount of the people in Carlingford, even those who may have had questions, who believe the communication was bad, are not in any way supportive of this. There is no support for this. This is the piece we need to make absolutely sure. Absolutely frightening for those people. Um, they're staying in the Carlingford Adventure Centre and it's not conducive to get the clarity that we want. I've obviously spoken to the Minister 
Um, in relation to this, we are looking for some sort of information in relation to the long-term plan. Mm. I'm aware that these men even were doing English classes at this point in time. And myself and Peter are constantly dealing with issues in yeah. the Dáil in relation to lack of positions, lack of services. Um, we're looking for people from physios, SLTs, yeah. bus drivers across the board. There's foreign recruitment drives on at this point in time. And difficulty with all these issues, mm. you always get characters want to start talking about unchecked mass immigration. The reality is immigration is an absolute necessity. Peter has said it also. There is a vicious war that is going on at this point in time. And we have decided to show solidarity um, in relation to international protection. I'm sure many of us have had difficulties over many years in how long it has taken this this to process people. We know the absolute mm. farce that was direct provision where people ended up being stuck in it for 14 years, in many cases not able to work and all those other factors. So all this has to be yeah. improved. And yeah, there is, an, uh, there is an element of anger from people. Of course. Of the, mm. this, uh, the housing list numbers. Yeah, of, of course, there are many reasons. Yeah. Of the lack of services. But that doesn't mean that's these people's responsibility. In no way is it. And we really have to be the best that we possibly can be in these set of circumstances, there can be no room for that level of hate and bile. We need to stand by people as much as we can. Okay. And, and, and just, uh, uh, I'm running way over time. Just, uh, I'm sure you want to echo that before we finish up in 30 seconds, please, Peter Fitzpatrick. No, the, you... the, people, the people in Connacht are welcome uh, these uh, international protected applicants and the Ukraine mm. at the moment. Is. I, I think uh, the, 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 the word, the guy there at the moment is, like what's happening in Ukraine is the Irish people has, has opened up their arms for these Ukraine to come in. Yep. A, a lot of work has been done. A lot of facilities have put in place. But Michael, the situation at the moment is is the, is the housing crisis. Mm. And I, said, I, I used the, the word tip, tipping point. Yep. I'm just going to say that the, the government's going to have to do something really, really serious. And Michael, just just one of your listeners said something this morning. I know, I know you 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 you, you, you didn't give it the thumbs up. But I think we should have a cross-party committee working very closely together with, 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 with housing. And if everybody mm. in, in the government... Are really oh, no, I did give it the thumbs up. I just said that no. we do have one. <laughs> no, Michael, what I'm trying to say, Michael, is yeah. I, I know, I, I know mm. there's, there's too many committees, mm. but, Michael, this, this is a crisis situation at the moment. Okay. And, Michael, this is the office at the moment. It's every day there's two or three people coming in, homeless people coming in, yeah. and they're getting yeah. no support. Michael. Yeah, Asher, three and a half thousand children homeless for Christmas. It's a complete uh, embarrassment, and uh, we should all be ashamed of ourselves because it's a reflection on us as a society. Thank you both, though. I've run over time. I have to leave there. Thank you both for joining us uh, this morning. Independent TD, Peter Fitzpatrick, Sinn Féin TD, Rory O'Murku. Michael Reed on LMFM. Next month's Taoiseach, Leo Vratker, raised eyebrows over the weekend uh, speaking to DMG Media in an interview on Extra.ie about armed Gardaí. Most, well, no, not most, but a lot of Gardaí are actually armed, more, more than you think. Um, that's very much a decision for the Garda Commissioner rather than for, for a politician. But certainly if the Garda Commissioner came to me or came to the Minister of Justice and said, uh, we think that um, we need guards to be armed or we need more guards to be armed, well, then I would absolutely say yes. But that should be a call for, for the Commissioner and his team rather than politicians. But I certainly wouldn't uh, do anything to block that if, if, if he f- make their, their job safer. That's what we definitely need to do soon and make their job safer. Liam Herrick, Executive Director with the Irish Council for Civil Liberties is on the line. You wouldn't uh, agree with uh, the Tánaiste, would you, Liam? 
good morning, Michael. Well, with regard to the body cameras issue, um, we, we've taken a, a different view on that. And our view is pretty simple that if the evidence is brought forward that shows that it will make guards safer and make the public safer, we're in favour of it. Uh, but we haven't been convinced by the evidence that that's been there so far. And the Department of Justice had a consultation on this issue, uh, but they never published the outcome of that. So it's a simple question of the evidence. If the evidence is there, we'd be for it. But up to now, we're, we've not been convinced. And we've seen what's happened in the United States and the UK. And there seems a pretty mixed bag of what the outcomes will be. I mean, what, we need to be careful if we're increasing the surveillance capacity of our police. And if we're going down the road of more and more cameras can that be a barrier between the public and the police? Because we want to have a community policing service in this country. That's that's the vision that we have. Um, with regard to the, the Tornish's comments about arming the guards, I mean, it, it's just really difficult to understand where he's coming from on this. The, the Tornish has been in government throughout the period where we've had a complete rethinking of how we want to have policing in this country. We need to remember in 2017, there was a really deep crisis in our police. We'd lost two government ministers because of scandals in policing, two Garda commissioners, Secretary General of the Department of Justice. You know, like we were really at the end of the road and the government that he was a member of decided to set up a commission on the future of policing, which you know, mapped out a very strong blueprint for reform of the police. Um, we have three pieces of legislation currently before the Oireachtas. And in all of that five years, the emphasis has been on how do we have a community police service in Ireland where people have guards in the community. And it's the complete opposite of a militarisation of policing. You know, so, And the guards have reacted very strongly as well, saying they don't want to be armed. No. No, the guards don't want it. Um, the police oversight bodies like the guard inspectors and the policing authority don't want it. In fact, what's happened over the last few years is we've tried to, tried to tighten up the legal framework around the use of force. I mean, of course, there is a need for the use of firearms in some situations. Um, we have had, obviously, we've organised crime. Mm. Uh, we, we have serious crime. There's guns in the community. We need to have armed units to respond but what had actually happened, and I think the Tarnished actually hints at this here, is that in 2020, the Guard Inspector did a report on the use of firearms by Angarda Shikona. And what they found is the number of guards that, have, or that are actually carrying weapons had increased significantly over time, up to as much as 30% of members of Angarda Shikona. And as a result of that, they tightened it up. It's now back to 20%. No. It's concentrated in special detective units and the armed support unit. Um, and there's also an emphasis on making sure that the small number of guards that carry weapons are properly trained to use them. Just back so, up, if you would. Uh, I'm not sure if I understood you correctly about cameras. Uh, are you saying the reason that you're not in favour of them at the moment, at least, uh, is because of the lack of evidence to prove that they work? Are you saying that they fall down because people become suspicious of the police? Well, the two main arguments for in favour of the Michael are one that it will reduce assaults against the guards because it will be a deterrent to pe people cause, uh, assaulting guards. And the second one is that it will prevent assaults or misuse of power by the guards against the public. And in the US, the argument for body-worn cameras was because of the high number of shootings by police officers of mm. members of the public, something that thankfully doesn't arise here in, in the same way. Now, 
what, what we're seeing is that the large studies that have been done in the United States in particular are now questioning whether the actual introduction of body-worn cameras in its own has that beneficial effect. So it's a simple question of, of, the, of, of the evidence, really. Mm. I mean, if, if we could be convinced that it would have that effect on behaviour, okay. well, then I think we'd be for it. I think a wise course of action here now would be to have a pilot project. Let's trial body-worn cameras in a particular guard division and then study the effects and if it has the benefit then roll it out. Okay, there's another and, strand and Sorry, uh, just uh, I'm uh, aware of the time. There's another strand to the conversation I think, Liam, which is facial recognition where uh, CCT camera footage, for example, may pick people out uh, who are wanted by the law. Yeah, I mean, this, it's not proposed at this stage that, that the facial recognition capacity would be combined with the body-worn cameras. It's more really around the CCTV infrastructure. Um, this is a highly contentious proposal that the government has introduced pretty late in the day to legislation around surveillance, and it's doing it at the same time that the European Union is moving towards banning the use of facial recognition technology by police because of the potential for infringing people's privacy, civil liberties, restricting the right to protest and so on. So Ireland is doing something that the European Union is moving in the opposite direction of for very strong human rights and civil liberties reasons. And I think the government has yet to explain where this is coming from. Uh, I think we need to be careful about surveillance. Um, It has its role, it has its place, but we don't want to be moving in the direction that England has moved, for example, and we've also seen in other countries where there's an increased level of surveillance at the time that it really changes the relationship between the police and the community. I think we have a good policing culture here, which is in need of reform and strengthening, and we need to be very careful about sacrificing that. Okay, Liam, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme. It seems as though a conversation has started uh, on whether the Gardaí should be armed or not. Interesting comments, as I said at the outset, uh, from uh, the Thornish next month's uh, Taoiseach, Leo Vradker, uh, over the weekend, which raised an awful lot of eyebrows. And uh, you're welcome to tell us what you think, if you wish. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Time now, as usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents which Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Olga Bacon of Trim Garda Station joins us for this week's report. And we begin with a number of burglaries, the first of which occurred in Dunsany. Yes, Michael. Trim Garda are investigating a burglary that happened in the Glane Great area of Dunsany. So the incident occurred on Tuesday last between 9am and 11.30am. Anyone who's been who's in the area and may have seen anything or noticed any vehicles or people acting suspiciously, or you may have been on the road in between Dunsany and Cotail during this time, we're asking you to contact Trim Garda Station on 046-948-1540. Next to Wardstown for the next burglary. This happened last Friday. Yes, so on Friday the 25th of November between 11am and 12 noon a house was unoccupied. When the homeowner returned they found their house had been broken into and ransacked and another a number of items taken. We do have reports of a silver car in the area prior to the burglary happening and we're just hoping that if any of your listeners remember seeing anything out of the ordinary that they would contact Kells Garda Station on 046 and a second burglary on Friday, uh, this one in Thomastown in Dulik. 
Yes, and again, this happened in the evening, so between 7pm and 9pm. And again, the home was unoccupied. When the homeowner returned, the house was they found their house ransacked, and again, a number of items taken. If you saw anything suspicious in the area during the time, we're asking you to contact Ashburn Garda Station on 018010600. Uh, the next burglary then that you're going to report on uh, was a break-in in Drumcar. This happened on Saturday. Yes, again, Saturday evening between 7 and 8pm. The home, When the homeowner returned home, they found their house had been ransacked. We believe there was a dark-coloured vehicle used by the suspects in this incident. If you were around the area, if you saw anything suspicious, we're asking you to contact Ardy Guard Station on 041 6853222. Indeed, I'm sure Gardaí and RD would like to hear about uh, another burglary that happened on Saturday, this one in Reestown. Yes, and this happened between the hours of 3pm and 7pm. Again, the house was unoccupied. When the homeowner returned, the house had been ransacked and a number of items taken. Again, Gardaí and RD are investigating this and we're asking you to contact them with any information you may have on 041 6853222 It's shocking uh, genuinely to hear of so many homes being broken into like that and uh, each of uh, those residents uh, won't forget that for some time to come and I, I take it it gives us all some pause for thought uh, and uh, especially coming into Christmas and the dark nights and so on to think about home security. We're going to go to Drogheda though for our next report. Uh, this is an assault that occurred on Stockwell Lane in the town on Saturday just gone. Yes, so Friday night into Saturday morning, between the hours of 2 and 3 a.m. in the vicinity of the Earth Nightclub, a man was assaulted. So we're asking if anybody may have been in the area, especially drivers and taxi drivers, if anybody has any dash cam footage or witnessed the incident, we're asking you to contact Drogheda Garda Station on 041 9874200. Okay, that's between 2 and 3 in the morning. Um, still very busy around that time on a Friday night, Saturday morning, as you say. Uh, Stockwell yes, Lane and Drogheda. Uh, we're going to conclude uh, this week with a road traffic collision that uh, occurred in Listu. I suppose this is an unusual, Michael, in that this happened Sunday um, at about quarter past eight in Listu. So the two vehicles that were involved, one was an e scooter. Um, it hit a vehicle that was travelling into Dundalk Town Centre. So the driver of the e-scooter didn't remain at the scene of the accident or passes details on to the driver to the driver of the other vehicle involved. And it's not known if the driver of the e-scooter was injured. So we're asking if anybody was in the area, if anybody saw the accident or possibly has dash cam footage, to contact Dundalk Garda Station on 042-938-8400. Okay, let's hope uh, he or she, do we know if it's a he or she? We don't have those details, okay. Michael. Yeah, well, who, if, whoever it is, we hope they're okay. Um, must have been a, a, an awful fright for the driver. Uh, before you leave us, uh, you're going to talk uh, about uh, some fraudulent summonses uh, that are uh, coming from Angarda Siakana, or at least they're purporting to be coming from Angarda Siakana. Yes, Michael, so we have been made aware of people receiving summonses um, they do look quite official. Um, the one I've seen has been signed by the Garda Commissioner. So if you get a summons, even if you, if you do get a summons, it is okay to contact your local Garda, ch- ch- your local Garda station 
to check the validity of a summons. Um, you know, in the, in the wording of the summons, they're mentioning various acts, various articles, um, penalties and fines. This isn't the normal way a summons comes out. And definitely they don't come out from Angarda Shea Corner like that. So do contact your local guard station if this is something you've received on the post. Don't click any, don't go into any websites mentioned on a summons. We won't ask you to pay online in such a manner. Um, we will happily tell you if the summons is genuine or not if you contact your local guard station or your local courthouse. Okay. Your guard station may be easier. Can, can, can I ask you, how are people receiving them? Are they receiving them through email or are they receiving them in the post? Both. We oh. believe they're, they're coming through both. Right, okay. Uh, watch out for that. Uh, and I, I'm sure if you uh, receive a summons uh, that you weren't expecting, you'll be wondering what that's about. And uh, that probably is uh, the first uh, warning sign, but uh, something for us all to watch out for. Thank you uh, indeed uh, for that. Uh, Garda Olga Bacon of Trim Garda Station will return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Before we leave you today, let me bring you some more of uh, the comments coming to us uh, this morning uh, to... Uh, some of you uh, who have been sending uh, messages uh, about me uh, and some threatening messages uh, <laughs> for that matter, uh, just to say, don't bother, uh, don't waste your time, I won't be reading them out. Uh, and uh, it comes on foot uh, of the coverage of uh, the protest uh, in uh, Carlingford uh, and uh, the racist, fascist elements um, uh, that uh, aren't happy to hear it being reported in that way. Uh, we've uh, an avid listener, though, in touch with us who says every member of the public has a camera now and some of them use their cameras to record Gardaí going about their duty. Then they publish it on social media. Where is the civil rights of members of Angarda Siakana uh, and why are they not protected? Give Gardaí body cams and stop the bull uh, that we hear about citizens' rights, says our listener. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Pete wants to know, why we were talking about uh, the Irish tricolour as a, a symbol of hate uh, because uh, we just or I just felt that if you were one of the 41 refugees uh, inside the Adventure Centre with people outside demanding that uh, you go that you don't get too warm uh, and holding a tricolour that it could be seen as a symbol of hate I suppose that explains it Pete uh, Betty saying there was a, a Karen giving out uh, and uh, she sent us a comment yesterday talking about Karens and uh, I did uh, get your follow up message to say that you meant Karen and it means a woman who gives out thank you Betty thanks to everybody who's been in touch that's our programme for today God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM good morning bye bye The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 087 660 4237.